Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, band, for leading us in a time of music as we continue to worship God now as we open up His Word. Uh, we are, if you're new with us today, we are in a series called Misconceptions, and this is kind of a, during the summer months, June and July, because we have a lot of traveling, we have a lot of weddings, we're a young church, and so we just celebrated a wedding yesterday, uh, and so the district church singles ministry is dwindling down a little bit more. We married two of them off yesterday, um, so when Jared and Erica get back, make sure you congratulate them um, from their honeymoon, and so... Um, but because we do have a lot of traveling, we typically are an expositional church. And what I mean by that is we preach through books of the Bible and we go verse by verse through books of the Bible because we want to be instructed um, from the word of the Lord. We want that to be what shapes and molds our church. We want that to be what holds authority over our lives. And so that's, that's kind of how we roll as a church. Um, but during the months of June and July, uh, we kind of look at what are some um, topics or ideas that are kind of going on within our church uh, that we want to bring to light or focus more on um, or kind of dive into a little bit deeper. And so this last one was um, because of a lot of kind of misconceptions going on out in Christianity right now when it comes to what is the gospel, when it comes to what, what's the role of suffering in our lives, when it comes to money and tithing, uh, when it comes to law versus grace. Um, these are several topics that we've been covering in this idea of misconceptions. How can we take something that might seem simple and make it very complex because that's what we do with culture. That's what we do on a daily basis. Uh, we take things that are simple and make it very complex. And so, um, so we are continuing on in that series today, and our topic today is the idea of what is a Christian walk. Um, because again, it sounds simple, it sounds uh, easy, but at the same time, this idea of a Christian walk can be one that we can quickly begin to misconstrue and, and really um, just kind of mess up in a way that doesn't lead to our joy, but again, continues to lead towards um, our own dissatisfaction, our own frustration, um, our own uh, sense of misunderstanding our relationship with Christ and how that functions and how that works and how God views us within our relationship with him. And, and then also really just what does it look like to, to be a Christian on a daily basis uh, when it comes to what Christ has done for us 2,000 years ago? Um, so these are some of the questions that we want to answer today. Um, and the first one I want to answer is just where do we get the idea of a Christian walk? And I'm actually going to pose that out there to you. Where do we get the idea of a Christian walk? Huh? Yeah. Give me a, give me a response. We're one of those response and, you know, churches. No, I'm just kidding. What's that? A journey. All right. Anyone else? Christian walk? Huh? Yeah, where's the idea originate? Sunday school. All right. Ten Commandments. Yeah, if you would have just said the Bible, like, I would have accepted it. Um, but it actually, I mean, because it's, it's kind of a weird term. Like, today, you don't, like, when you're meeting someone new, you're not like, so what's your walk look like on a daily basis? 
No, you typically ask, like, uh, how's your life going? Like, uh, what do you do for a living? Like, you don't ask kind of in terms of, like, what's your walk? Um, but the Bible uses this, this phrase, this terminology, often, both in Old Testament and New Testament. Here's just a couple examples for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Psalms 81, 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Psalms 119, 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. You can also do it wrong. Psalm 78, 10, they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. And then we have Ephesians 5, 1 through 21, and that's where I'll be spending a big chunk of our time in today, but it begins with... Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this, this terminology of walk is, is essentially synonymous with this idea of lifestyle, this idea of, of what you're giving yourself over to. It's, it's what is the identity within you is then going to flesh itself out in the way you think, the way you talk, the way you um, the, the way you serve others, the way you love others, the way you position your life, the way you steward your resources, all of those things kind of come down to where we would say, well, that's my lifestyle now, that's my life. Uh, the Bible also refers to it as a walk. It, it's how you live your life. And so I want to um, kind of first just show you on this whiteboard, and no, I'm not an artist, and so I don't do this often, um, but I want to show you just kind of a misconception of the Christian walk and why this becomes such a frustrating thing for us. And I showed a similar um, illustration to this when we were talking about the gospel and what the gospel is and its relationship between law and grace. Um, but essentially, the misconception within a Christian walk is, is say you've got a person, so yes, I'm a stick figure kind of guy. Um, so they're born, they start living a life, and at some point... Lord willing, uh, they get saved, and they jump up here. I'm just going to kind of consider this line a line of righteousness. So they get saved. They get justified. God does the work of salvation for them. They are no longer a sinner, but now a saint. So they jump up here. They are a believer. They are a Christian. Their sins have been forgiven and now it now your your job your role your lifestyle is to do the christian walk to be a christian to become like christ but the misconception that we see is as we begin walking and taking steps if we mess up and we fall this is me falling if we fall we then come down and we begin trying to figure out okay how do i get back into right relationship with jesus how do I reconcile this issue? How do I get back to this place where God is pleased with me, that he loves me, that he adores me, that he cares for me? Because as I'm dropping down here because I've sinned, if I've sinned, I'm no longer righteous. I'm no longer living the Christian walk, the lifestyle. I'm no longer doing what Christ has commanded me to do in Scripture. So I'm kind of in this, and we'll just kind of keep this line going down here. I'm kind of in this gray area between unrighteousness and righteousness. I'm, I'm kind of in this weird position, almost like this like self-inflicted purgatory that we put ourselves in where I don't know if 
God's happy with me. I don't know if he's upset with me because I'm, I, I haven't lost my salvation, but at the same time, I'm not right with God in righteousness. So, so I'm just struggling in the middle. Like, how many times do you feel like that, where you're just like, on a, on a daily, weekly kind of basis as you're going through life, like, you know what? I went to church, so maybe I'm up here. I read my Bible, maybe I'm up here. I served someone on the side of the street, maybe I'm up here. Like, I've done some good things, and so maybe that's getting me back up here where God is happy with me. He's excited about me. But then there's also things that I mess up with on a daily basis that I continue to struggle with, that I continue to war with. And so now that's moving me down towards this kind of route. And so where am I in my walk? Like we kind of play this limbo with God that, that is really causing a lot of turmoil. And the reality is, and again, this is absolutely a misconception. That's spelled wrong. This entire gray area is a misconception that doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. This position is not biblical. There is nowhere in the Bible where you will find someone who's in between unrighteousness and righteousness. Rather, it should actually just play itself out as just one long line. You're either unrighteous or you're righteous. Now, there's going to be people who are living their lives down here believing that they are Christians because maybe one day they prayed a prayer or they were raised in church or they were brought up in church or because their parents were Christians, therefore they are Christians themselves um, or because they live in the South or Midwest, by default they're Christians. Um, like this is a lot of people who kind of believe this or even just believe because I do good things. And as long as I do more good things than bad things, then God's going to look at me and grant me salvation and grant me repentance and forgiveness because I'm just a good person. Well, that's also a misconception. That does not lead to a Christian walk. Like you cannot in any possible way earn a move from here to here. It does not work that way. Colossians 1, verse 13, which is actually the very last thing that I'm going to cover, but I want to go ahead and read it to you because I want to see what we're building towards, is this right here. He, being God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So there's only two categories that you can be in. Down here is domain of darkness. Uh, yes. And up here is the kingdom of the beloved son. Kingdom of Jesus. King Jesus, ruling and reigning. The only person that gets us from here to here is God. Is God. Spiritually dead, spiritually alive. Dead person can't do anything for themselves. Dead. Therefore, because God loved us, he sent his only son to this earth to pay the penalty for all of this that we do in order to move us up here. In order to grant us forgiveness and, and repentance, to be able to move us into this position. So what this really looks like is, if I can kind of get rid of this line. As we are now in this kingdom of the beloved son, we still have a Christian walk. We still have a daily hourly, minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment, walk with Jesus. 
that at times is going to cause or have some stumblings in it, right? Like, I don't think there's anyone in this room that the moment you became a believer, a Christian, that moment when God justified you and he reconciled you back into a relationship because of the work Jesus did, not the work you do, but the work Jesus did, when he moved you into this position, this kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus, I don't think there's one person in this room who's been nailing it ever since, who's gone without sin, who's never messed up, who's never upset someone else, who's never talked behind someone's back, who's never fill in the blank. You know your sins because you know yourself. That's why right before this we had a time of confession. We have a time of confession because we know that daily, hourly, moment by moment, we still continue to struggle with this flesh, this earthly body that we live in that is not glorified. We are not in glory yet. We, have not, we, we may have been saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin to be able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus, but we have not been removed yet from the presence of sin. So this process right here is from here to here, he removes us from the penalty of sin. We are not in the position of domain of darkness or unrighteousness anymore to where God's wrath is not directed towards us anymore, but rather was put on Jesus at the cross. And because Jesus paid it in full, when he now looks at us, he looks at Jesus as he did when he was baptizing Jesus and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So he looks at you in the identity of Christ that's now within you and he says, this is my son and my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And that's, because, and that's not due to anything that you've done, will do or won't do. He's pleased with you. There's still going to be moments where we stumble. And if you want to go back and listen, we actually covered a lot of that as far as like this relationship with why we still offer confession. Like if God's pleased with us, if God in Christ has reconciled us and has forgiven us of our past, present, and future sins, then why do we still confess sins? Why do we still have this sense of, of needing forgiveness? Well, it's not so that we can be resaved or rededicate our lives. But it's so that we're continually aware of the sin that still indwells within us, the sin that still we commit on a daily basis, so that we can come back to God, bring those things to Him, because we are adopted sons of His, because we have been justified and declared forgiven in the courtroom. We are free to come to Him with the things that we continue to struggle with and say, Lord, I'm struggling with that. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I want to continue to be sanctified and become more like Jesus Christ. So help me get rid of this thing that you have already forgiven. Strengthen me, strengthen me to be able to say no to this thing so that I can say yes to you tomorrow. That's the, op, the, the, the constant move of confession is I know that I'm going to stumble and this entire walk is going to look like a stock market where we are in our righteousness moving towards Jesus to become like him on a daily basis. And so God will use things like be perfect, as he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, well, if I'm down here, I'm definitely not perfect. I'm imperfect. The only way that I can become perfect from a legal standing is God justifying me. 
all right? So now that I'm perfect from a legal standing, how do I I become perfect from a relational Christ-like standing? That's sanctification. That's him day after day after day moving us more and more like Jesus. And, And it's going to be a messy process. The kind of phrasing that we like to use is it's going to be uh, imperfect progress that is leading to perfection. Imperfect progress that is leading to perfection. We're after progress here, not necessarily perfection today. Because we know it's not going to happen today. But we know there's going to be progress. We want to see you more like Christ tomorrow than you were yesterday. Because you're laying down, you're throwing off those sins that so easily entangle us. We're laying those things aside. And the reason why we're able to lay those things aside is because of what he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. That is this moment right here. That if Christ paid on the cross the penalty for my sin... And so in order for me to go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, my sin has to be put to death. I have to be crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ so that as three days later Jesus rose from the dead, I'm able to raise from the dead into this position of righteousness. I've been crucified with Christ. Now that I'm here, the only way that I'm able to be here is because, again, Jesus, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The only reason why we are able to be in relationship with God, who is holy and righteous and just, is because of Jesus, who is holy, righteous, and just. He provides for us the credentials that we need to be in relationship with God. We couldn't fix it. Jesus had to come fix it. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now this moves into the idea of how do I then live this life? If I live this life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, what does that look like? And this is where I want to read. I'm going to read some big chunks of passages here for you. Ephesians chapter 5. I've already read verses uh, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then these next two passages that I want to look at here is two things that I think we must do in order to have a progressive walk with Christ. Number one is we must take our sin seriously. We must take our sin seriously. And number two is we must take our Savior seriously. We must take our sin seriously and we must take our Savior seriously. Beginning in verse three, it says this, But sexual immorality, remember, he's saying, walk in love. This is your walk. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let one deceive you with empty let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light full for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. My wife, Kelsey, um, as she was sharing the kind of the confession right before me coming up here, she really delved into this idea of how easy it is to, uh, to kind of play these two realms of... Um, I've got to make sure that, that, that I do everything right in order to uh, feel like God is loving and pleasing to me. Um, and at the same time, if we focus on that, that's when you kind of become a legalist and, and you leave Christ out because you're all about the commands. But then there's the other flip side of it where it's, you know, regardless of the commands, I know God loves me and I know he's going to forgive me so I can just go and do whatever I want. What we create there is a gray area. And as I said, there's no gray area. We've created this idea, this misconception that because God is for me and loves me and forgives me, that means I can do anything. I can live my life how I want to live my life. And there's not going to be any ramifications there. I'm forgiven, and once I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven forever. Once I'm saved, I'm saved forever. This is perseverance of the saints. This is a, a doctrine that I believe in, but it's so easy for us to take that type of doctrine to then say, I can do whatever. And we know if you just read the Bible, you just read the book of Galatians, you read the book of Romans, that that's not true. As Paul says time and time again, shall we sin all the more so that grace may abound? May it never be to posture ourselves. I can do whatever I want. God will love me and forgive me. Is to posture ourselves that I do not know God. I do not know Jesus. I do not know his heart. Because if God is in you, if, if Galatians 2.20, if Christ lives in you, your affections become his affections. Your desires become his desires. Your heart is his heart. You think in step with the way he thinks. We're growing in this. All the ingredients are in there. It's kind of like a stew. All the ingredients are in. It's just got to simmer. And those, flag those fragrances, those aromas are going to come out. What happens then is because Christ is in us and daily we are being conformed to the image of Christ, guess what's going to happen towards sin? That thing that we used to love, we now hate. That thing that we thought used to bring us pleasure, no longer brings us pleasure. That thing that we thought used to satisfy, no longer brings satisfaction, but leads us into dissatisfaction. Because sin destroys. Sin corrupts. Sin does not want you to experience the grace of God. 
but rather wants you to still believe we're in this position of wrath of God. So we're constantly looking at this idea of, of, of in, really, in our culture right now, we are playing this part of redefining God as love, redefining God's commands, redefining God's design. We're redefining everything to fit more of the mold of what we define it as versus what God defines it as. And what we're actually doing is we're literally sinning and just stamping God's approval on it that he will either approve of it as good or he just forgives it even if it's wrong. But it doesn't matter. We're just going to continue going this route. What a dangerous, dangerous place for us to be in as a culture. That's never going to lead to anybody's flourishment. Never going to lead to anybody's true joy and satisfaction. This is what God is after. And so he, he wants us to take our sin seriously. That it's not just something on a day. And this is why, again, we, we offer confession in services because we want to bring to light and we want to make it normative within your life that when we mess up, the first place we should run to is God because we want, we want joy. We want freedom from that enslavement. We want peace and comfort within our life, and the only way we're going to find it is by getting rid of the sin in our life, laying it down, being serious about it. If we don't take it seriously, we will never take our Savior seriously, which is the next part, picking it up in verse 13. But when anything is exposed in the light or by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You might be thinking, that's a re really weird verse to kind of continue reading here. Here's what that means. When we take our Savior seriously, our Savior gives us clarity. He gives us clarity about our walk in life. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. He's making clear. He, he doesn't want us living in the gray. He doesn't want us living in this position of, man, I really don't know if I'm pleasing God. I really don't know if this is for right or wrong. Like, no. He's saying, I'm prov I've provided for you right and wrong. Like, I don't know if you guys know that. Every single aspect of your life, God has instruction for it. Every single aspect in your life. How to be an employee, he's got instruction for you on that, right and wrong. Sex, he has instruction for us on that, right and wrong. Money, right and wrong. Children, right and wrong. Marriage, right and wrong. Friendship, right and wrong. There's no gray area within any topic of life that God does not instruct us regarding in his scriptures. That's why we preach from the Bible. Because we know God is instructing us for our good and for his glory. And so he wants to bring things into the light so that we have clarity that if we choose this, it's going to be good, right, holy, pleasing, joyful, satisfying. 
And if we choose this, it's going to be destroying, destructive. It's going to be bad for us. It's not going to be satisfying. It's not going to be joyful. It's going to be robbing us of those things. It's going to not only hurt us. It's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's also going to grieve those around us. It's going to create dissension within our relationships. It's not going to go well. Black and white. He's providing clarity. Have you ever tried like just walking around your house in, in pitch darkness? You know the layout. That doesn't mean that you're not still going to stump your toe on something or you're going to walk into a wall or a door. Like This is the reality. Like We think we know the layout, but he still needs to bring light to us when it comes to walking in our life. We need that. Let's keep reading. Look carefully then how you walk. So he provides some instruction then on how to walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. I love Proverbs 13, 20. If you need help on how to walk in a wise way, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You want to learn to walk with wisdom? Surround yourself with people who are walking in wisdom. Get yourself in a community of people who are going to be able to say to you, hey, this is the man, you are Christ-like in this moment. You are encouraging and edifying. You, I am seeing the fruit of the Spirit come out of your life. I remember when you were impatient. I'm seeing patience. Keep running the race. Keep going. Keep walking. And there's going to be times where we say, hey, you're not as loving as I know you to be. And we need to have, a, like, let's talk. Like, what's going on in your life right now where, where you're, you're being more harsh rather than gentle? Let's get into community and walk with wisdom with those who are wise around us. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So now, as we're talking about this idea of walking, our Savior gives us his wisdom. He gives us his clarity. He gives us his wisdom. And his wisdom is going to be the will of the Lord. He wants us to walk in the will of the Lord. That's another one of those great misconceptions. What is the will of the Lord? Glad you asked. Josh preached on that several weeks ago. Um, We will make sure that that is up on the um, website for you to go back and look at. But this idea of what is the will of the Lord, when I was in, oh, I'm trying to remember now. I might have been middle school. WWJD bracelets, you remember these things? Or am I that old now? Did y'all not have the WWJD bracelets? Who had them? Come on, hands up. Okay, thank you. But we would literally, like, this was a huge, like, ploy to try to get people to do the right thing, to live the Christian life. Like, any situation you're in, oh, what would Jesus do? That's what I need to do. But what did that produce? What that ultimately produced was, I need to do what Jesus did rather than live by what Jesus has done. It put the cart before the horse. If I don't have a relationship with Christ, and I'm just trying to do his will, I'm trying to live his life, it's just going to lead to frustration because I don't have the strength, I don't have the identity. I don't have the grace of God living within me to try to accomplish this thing. I remember at this point, because right around that time was the time that I got saved, and I remember thinking after I got saved, 
It's a lot easier to do what Jesus did than before. Before there was this weird weight and this weird like burden on me that it was like, I don't know if I can actually do what Jesus did because I'm in this frustrating conversation right now and I'm supposed to do what Jesus did or what would he do in this conversation and I don't want to do what Jesus did. I want to punch this person. Like, that was my, like, and so this whole time I'm in this kind of tension with God of trying to figure out his will and how to walk in him without ever knowing him. And so when it comes to a Christian walk, yes, he gives us wisdom, but we don't need to just quickly jump into what would Jesus do, but rather we need to trust in what he has already done and accomplished And as we trust in what he has already done and accomplished becomes the fuel for us to submit to his will and his walk and his journey as we begin to interact with those around us. Lord, I'm about to enter into a conversation that's very difficult. I know you've handled conversations that were very difficult. You handled them in a Christ-like way because you are Christ. And so how can this enter into my situation right now? Christ, live through me in this conversation I'm about to have. Because if it's me and I'm still dealing with Dwayne, this might go bad. Christ, I need you to saturate this conversation. Can I submit to you in this time? That's knowing the will of the Lord. Submitting to what Jesus has done and is doing as he's living through your life. Not you trying to just figure out what would Jesus do and then try to do it in your own strength. We trust and submit to him. And that leads to the last one here. Our Savior gives us his spirit. When we take our Savior seriously, our Savior gives us clarity, our Savior gives us wisdom, and our Savior gives us his spirit. He says in Ephesians 5, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, one thing I did not want to do in this sermon talking about the Christian walk is give you a bunch of, of, of rules on how to walk well. Like, this is how many hours you should read your Bible. This is how many hours you should pray. This is how many times you should share the gospel on a weekly basis. This is how many times you should go to your church on a Sunday morning or anytime the doors are open. This is, like, typically that's what people think when they think Christian walk. But we know from the scripture that a Christian walk for every single individual is going to look a little bit differently. There's not one prescription for how many hours you should spend in your Bible or how many hours you should spend in prayer. It might fluctuate in different seasons. But the reality is is that God has made everything very clear to us in providing his wisdom to us. And then this is the key. Jesus said... As he was leaving. First, I'm never going to leave you, but then he left. How does that work? He sends the Holy Spirit to be a helper for us. He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within us every single day. 
to be God in us every single day, leading us. Hey, you're struggling with this thing right now? Let's open up the word of God together. I'm going to lead you in understanding what you're about to read. I'm going to lead you in, in allowing what, what is in the word of God to transform your heart and your mind and your soul. It's going to renew your spirit as we read this together. Not only that, let's, let's, let's get into some solitude for a moment. Let's just go. Let's just find a park. Let's just get together and let's just pray. You're not going to know what to pray, but I'm going to pray for you. Like Holy Spirit is literally just a shot blocker. That's what he does. We go and we try to pray to the Lord and we don't know what to pray. And as Romans 8 says, we're groaning and not sure what to pray with the words. And the Holy Spirit's just knocking them down. That's a bad prayer, bad prayer. Don't worry. I got this. I'm interceding for you. And I'm telling God what you really need. But just keep bringing them because I love shot blocking you. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing for us every moment. And it's for our good. Because if God was just a yes man, just constantly giving us everything that we're praying to him, would go bad for us would go bad for us. It's literally like the, the one positive thing that came from Bruce Almighty is when he said yes to all the emails that everyone sent in and then the world went into chaos. Like, God doesn't operate that way. The Holy Spirit discerns, knows the heart of God and is interceding for us, but he's drawing us into isolation in order for us to be able to spend those moments with God where we're praying to him and that's the beauty, guys. Like, a lot of times people ask me, like, how do I pray well? Just start. The Holy Spirit will fix it. Just start. And if you don't know how to pray well and you want to continue and increase in your prayer, go to Scripture and look for the way that Paul prayed for the churches. Look for the way that he prayed for Timothy. Look for the way that he literally says, we are praying for you, and then he prays for them. Just pray that thing contextualize it to add in the names you want, to, you want as far as for your people, your context, your church, your community, your house, your children. Interject those into the prayers Paul's already praying. And the Holy Spirit's going to honor those things. Holy Spirit, I'm walking through life. I want to share the gospel with people. I don't know who to share the gospel with. Holy Spirit's going to bring people into your life. God gives us the Holy Spirit not to be ignored, not to be grieved. He gives us the Holy Spirit to direct us, to lead us, to bring to life the fact that Christ lives within us and is living through us. And so the way I want to close is by reading a prayer from Paul to the church in Colossae. And this is what he says. Band, you can, let's go ahead and come on up, band. This is what he says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I want us to bow our heads right now and close our eyes. And let this prayer from Paul just sit on our hearts and our minds. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, 
for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we ask that that prayer would ring true in our hearts and our minds today. God, we want to be filled with your spirit. We want to increase in your knowledge, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, we want, we desire because of Christ living through us, we want to walk in a manner that is worthy of you that is fully pleasing to you, that is bearing fruit in every good work within our lives. God, would you strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might. Grant us endurance and patience with joy. And may we in all of that give thanks to the Father for that is his will, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we close with communion, we come to the table because of Jesus' offer to us. He broke his body, he shed his blood. As we talked about on the board, the only way for us to go from domain of darkness to kingdom of the beloved Son is through the cross of Jesus Christ. We were the ones standing in the position of God's wrath that was going to be poured out on us due our sin. But Jesus stepped into our place as a propitiation. He stepped into our place as a substitute so that we would live and become righteous. He became sin. Representing our unrighteousness. And the wrath of God due our sin was poured out on Jesus. And his body was broken and his blood was shed for forgiveness of sins. Communion is a celebration of Christ's sacrifice. Communion is a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. It's an act of worship in which we go to him humbly thanking him for sacrificing himself, for breaking his body and shedding his blood. So if you would, go ahead and stand with me. I want to pray one more time for our communion and we will partake together in remembrance of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for offering yourself as a sacrifice on the cross, paying the penalty of death so that we would not have to. And then you rose three days later guaranteeing for us to be raised with you in the kingdom of the beloved son. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for breaking your body and shedding your blood. 
We ask that you would be honored and worshiped in this time of communion as we remember you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's partake of communion together. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church.